Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. So many Oregonians are facing financial woes, and for most, the pain will continue long into 2021. And as this year comes to a close, more are struggling to pay for their housing. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, reporter Jamie Goldberg talks about the challenges facing renters, homeowners, and business owners, and the specter of both an eviction crisis and foreclosures rising in 2021, with many people struggling to make ends meet. We talked about how federal stimulus dollars carried people for months, but that support dried up long ago. The legislature is expected to confront this issue in some form on Monday, the same day this episode is released. But their action now might only delay, not solve, a looming eviction and foreclosure crisis in 2021. We talked about other business issues like Portland's shifting reputation and how that's affecting tourism and even insurance premiums for some businesses. Here's our conversation. Jamie Goldberg, thanks so much for taking time to talk today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So early in the coronavirus recession, renters seem to be getting by and largely making their rent payments despite an eviction moratorium. But your reporting has shown and more renters are struggling recently. Uh, why is that? Yeah, I think a big reason for that is when you look at early in the pandemic and you look at the CARES Act, Congress added in enhanced unemployment benefits. So a lot of people, even if they lost their job, in some cases were making more money on unemployment with the extra $600 a week boost. And not only were they able to pay their rent with that money, some people were able to put money aside and actually start to build their savings a little bit uh, mm -hmm. during that time. I, I think that uh, a lot of an analysts sort of worried that at once that $600 came to an end that we would start seeing rental payments drop off. But I think because of that savings, you saw a couple of months where people were able to continue to pay their rent. And they were also able to access funds in, in terms of rental assistance and other CARES Act dollars that were made available by cities and counties. I think now what you're seeing now, since Congress has gone months without passing a new relief bill, they, they are on the verge of potentially passing one now. But I right. think what you're seeing is people are running out of that money. And so you're seeing a drop off really now in November and December with renters not being able to pay. And you had a story, uh, we're talking Friday afternoon, but you had a story this week that um, pointed to some pretty dire figures, right? How many, um, you know, despite all the potential for an extended um, moratorium on evictions here in Multnomah County, which that's already occurred, and then statewide action. But how many renters might be facing uh, a point where they can't pay their rent in January? Yeah, I, I think in terms of not paying the rent in January, I don't think we have exact numbers on that. But in terms of renters who are behind on rent already um, and will be will have will owe money when. Um, you know, at this point, the eviction moratorium expires in January. It's 
very likely not going to expire at that point. But research that's out there shows that somewhere between 100,000 and 150,000 Oregonians are in that situation where they're behind on rent, or if they're not, will be behind on rent within the next month. I think in a lot of cases, even though the majority of renters were able to pay throughout the summer, there is a small percentage that haven't been able to pay since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, Some of them maybe weren't able to access unemployment because... Mm -hmm. Um, obviously, as we, I, we, you've talked to Mike about on this podcast before, um, the employment department here in Oregon struggled to get that money out. Others might be accessing PUA because they uh, are people that wouldn't usually qualify for regular unemployment. And the minimum weekly payment there is only $200 a week. So that might not be enough to really supplement their income and pay all their bills. So there is a small percentage of renters, even with the benefits that have been in place that haven't been paying this entire time and have this added up eight, nine months of rent um, that are going to come at the point the eviction moratorium ends, potentially be have all that money due and not be able to pay and potentially face eviction. Right. And the scale of the problem, like you mentioned, is huge. I mean, we're talking um, potentially as many households as there are people in Eugene, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the time people listen to this on Monday, uh, when the episode is released, the legislature has this special session. They're talking about extending the uh, eviction moratorium statewide. What do we know about that plan? Yeah, I think that what I said, obviously, when I said the eviction moratorium ends at the end of the year, I, I think it's expected that the legislature will extend it. Uh, the current proposal on the table would extend it through the end of June for renters facing hardships. The the previous moratorium said any renter could not be evicted for non-payment. Now renters will have to submit a declaration to their landlord saying, I've been financially impacted since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, not necessarily because of the pandemic, but since that date, they'll have to prove, um, at least in writing, uh, uh, they'll have to say that they are experiencing financial hardship If they can, the eviction moratorium will be extended until June. Rent will be due immediately after that. So there will not be a grace period from the state level in terms of paying that back. Uh, Those that can't show financial hardship will have to pay back any uh, outstanding rent by the end of March. And the, the, the proposal on the table also creates a landlord compensation fund and dedicates about $200 million to both that fund and existing rental assistant pro assistance programs. Yeah. What's the, what's the reasoning behind the landlord fund? Yeah. I I think when you think of landlords, a lot of times people are thinking about, you know, the big property management companies. And I don't think there's a been a ton of sympathy for landlords like that, but I, but there are a lot of landlords out there as well that are just small landlords. A lot of people who've put their retirement investments into owning property as opposed to maybe putting it into the stock market and maybe own three, four or five units. And that's how they make their income. And uh, those people are struggling too. Um, not to say that property management companies aren't having issues with their businesses, but I think the main key here and what the Oregon lawmakers want to address is, is those small landlords right now who have gone eight, nine months without rent from certain tenants and might be struggling to pay their own bills and their own mortgage at this point. So that money will go to them. They will have to forgive 20% of unpaid rent to access that assistance. But the priority will be to go to those small landlords and, and those landlords who have the most outstanding rent due to them. Okay. What about foreclosures, uh, Jamie? How does that 
fit into this whole equation and what do we know about um, whether those are happening um, in Oregon right now? Yeah, currently the foreclosure moratorium in Oregon runs in through the, the end of the year. And there was initially some discussion that that could be something that could be taken up in this special session. But as of now, it is not on the table. So it looks like Oregon lawmakers will let that expire. And I'm not sure exactly in terms of the numbers what the consequence will be. But unless there's something else that comes along from the federal level, which there might be, um, that is going to put homeowners in a difficult situation. I, I think there are a number of rules that went into effect with the CARES Act that allowed uh, homeowners to speak with their lenders about getting a forbearance, mm-hmm. which sort of can help them avoid foreclosure. Um, and I, I think lenders have been open to some version of that. But that protection of a foreclosure moratorium, as of now, it, at, at the state level, is going away at the end of the year. And obviously, um, one story that's been unfolding in Portland is kind of this occupation um, and involving a house on North Mississippi Avenue where a black and indigenous family had been fighting a foreclosure with you know, hundreds of supporters in their corner. Uh, does that tie in at all to any of these issues we've talked about? Yeah, I mean, I think it ties in, in in the sense that the the people that are struggling the most right now are um, the the lower income units, both renters and homeowners. And unfortunately, you see a higher percentage of people of color that might be impacted uh, by things like the foreclosure moratorium and the eviction moratorium expiring. Uh, so I, I think. Um, Obviously, that issue raised a lot of questions about how something like a foreclosure can lead to gentrification and, and force people out of neighborhoods. I I think lawmakers have spent a lot of time addressing the issues that are facing renters, and I think there's a greater percentage of people that are in that position. Um, but mm-hmm. the, there's a lot of question marks that still remain about what is going to happen to homeowners. And um, I, the other side of that, I guess, is um, what that means for landlords who have been foregoing rent um, and have their own mortgages to pay maybe on their own pro- on their properties and maybe their own houses as well. Yeah, I was curious how uh, how this um, uh, what the interplay is between these policies and uh, actions that the state is considering and uh, how it how it affects businesses or restaurants that are living off of their takeout orders and out, outdoor dining in some communities. But even that is restricted due to um, the threat levels from COVID. Yeah. And I think it's relevant to mention that the eviction moratorium on the table is a residential one. Uh, Multnomah County actually just extended their residential eviction moratorium into the end of July. So uh, Portland area renters um, are protected under that, whether or not the state extends theirs, which, like I said, I expect they will. Um, but when it comes to commercial evictions, that is that was something that there was a moratorium in place, but mm-hmm. the state has not extended that. And so right now, I think businesses, restaurants, um, and, and the landlords who might um, own that property are in a different situation. Uh, there, there's really not those protections there. So we'll see what happens on Monday by the time people listen to this. But you covered a hearing where um, some renters were able to address uh, state lawmakers. And I mean, it's pretty emotional testimony. What uh, stood out to you from some of the stories of everyday Oregonians talking about how they're faring right now? Yeah, I think um, there was one renter uh, who I mentioned in my article um, who 
said that paying rent has never been an issue for him before, but COVID has just upended his life. His husband died. He doesn't know if it was because of COVID, but his husband was exhibiting COVID symptoms. It, he passed away during the pandemic. Hmm. And um, this individual himself hasn't been able to work because he has pre-existing conditions that put him at high risk for COVID-19. And so that's left him in a position where he can't pay rent. He's had to sell some of his own personal belongings to try to uh, pay those bills. And he has um, barely been able to keep up in the last few months has fallen behind. So he was really pushing for the eviction window moratorium and the the uh, bill on the table to be passed. Um, but there were plenty of stories like that. I, I think whether it was individual renters coming forward or organizations that represent renters telling the stories of the people they're hearing from, mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of people out there that are struggling right now. Yeah, you you take that hearing and you expand it out statewide and and nationwide. It's um it's hard to wrap your mind around. Um, well, let's take a quick break and then come back and talk more with Jamie Goldberg, a business reporter at the Oregonian and Oregon Life. Okay, we're back with Jamie and Jamie's foster dog Uma. This is just part of COVID living and part of interviewing remotely. So let's talk about other coverage, Jamie, because you've been exceptionally busy. Um, you've written about legal challenges against a $62 million relief fund set aside for Black Oregonians and other business owners have challenged its constitutionality. And recently you wrote that it had turned its remaining money over to the court. What's next in this saga? Is that money now effectively off the table? Um, not Necessarily. I, I, it was an interesting move by the, um, contingent, um, the lawyers for the contingent, which is the nonprofit administering the program that is along with the state, mm -hmm. um, being sued by several individuals, um, based on them saying this fund is not constitutional. So the plaintiffs in the case had a motion for a preliminary injunction on the table. And rather than wait for the judge to decide on that, the contingent essentially effectively shut down the fund on their own by giving their remaining $8.8 .8 million to the court. The plaintiffs have recently tried to turn this into a class action lawsuit, and they have to determine at this point who is included in the class? Does it just include non-Black individuals who have already applied for this fund, which is obviously going to be a much smaller group of individuals or businesses? Because if if you see a fund that's reserved for only Black individuals and you are or you're not do not fit into that, you are unlikely to apply. Exactly. Um, but if the class only includes that, the amount of money that they might um, be entitled to if they win the legal challenge might be less than eight point eight million which means that the contingent could get some of that money back to continue dis distributing to black individuals who have applied. However, if uh, the judge rules that the class can be larger, can be any business or individual in Oregon who might have been impacted by COVID-19 and could have used this money, um, obviously that money will not go back to the fund. So it sort of depends what the ruling is. I, I think the expectation is the ruling on that is going to come in early January the judge has also asked the two sides to go to mediation to see if they can avoid a trial. But uh, they are hoping because they know people are in need right now to have a resolution one way or another within the first few months of next year. Okay. So we'll keep tabs on that one. Um, 
You've also written about downtown Portland businesses fairly extensively, including a, a story uh, this week that they can't find insurance policies or have to pay inflated premiums on their um, on their policies. What's going on here? Yeah, um, it's <laughs> that's an interesting one as well. Um, I heard from a business owner who had a claim this summer when there was protests in downtown Portland at the end of May that sort of turned into a riot. A lot of businesses were broken into and looted mm-hmm. during this riot, which occurred after what had been a day of peaceful protesting in Portland. This business owner was able to file an insurance claim and, and was able to to get reimbursement through that. But when his policy ended, uh, expired uh, in the fall, he was informed by his insurance company that they would not offer him a renewal. And that, as it turns out, is happening to a lot of Portland businesses whose policies are coming up for renewal. If they've had to file a claim this year related to vandalism or damage stemming from the small group of people that have used the protest as an opportunity to to commit those acts. Um, at the same time, getting coverage if you are a new business or if you are one of those businesses who is seeing a non-renewal is becoming harder. And, and brokers say that is because of the national coverage that Portland has received that sort of shows the damage and vandalism uh, that has occurred downtown that is making mm-hmm. insurance companies more wary about potentially insuring those businesses. So this one business owner I spoke with, when he went to try to get a new renewal, he had to pay four times as much, but the at the same time, uh, his coverage was less and the insurance company specifically said it would not cover any damage related to uh, civil unrest. Wow. I mean, the thing that really is unbelievable about about this story, I mean, this is real tangible costs to a business um, and to many businesses stemming from, like you mentioned, um, there has been vandalism, there has been um, damages to, to businesses, but it is by no means a, you know, a citywide issue. But this is something that may affect people, regardless of where your business is in Portland. Yeah, I think that the brokers I spoke with said that, you know, zip code does matter and insurance companies do take that into consideration. Um, But at the same time, one uh, broker that I spoke with pointed to a list of conditions she received from a specific insurance company that said they wouldn't uh, insure any new customers within five miles of an active riot riot or looting zone. And there's a question as to what that means, <laughs> but um, if they're referring to Portland, I, I mean, that would include pretty much the entirety of Portland. Um, whether or not other insurance companies are going that far, I, I don't think they necessarily are. Um, but the perception of the city as a whole, not just downtown, has certainly been impacted. Yeah. And we're when we have the current occupant of the White House referring to it as an anarchist jurisdiction, I guess that that literally has consequences. You also wrote recently, you mentioned the outside perception of Portland that, um, I mean, we don't have a lot of tourists right now, but um, there's a survey that showed tourists have an increasingly negative view of Portland. Do we know right now whether this national view of Portland as a city teetering on the edge has staying power beyond this year? I'm not sure if uh, how long this is going to continue. I, I I don't think we have an answer to that. I think the concern is not what tourists 
uh, feel right now because I, I don't think people expect people to be traveling during the middle of the pandemic. But whether this will stay long term and whether we will see tourists having those same views after this is all over. I, I think things clearly change quickly. Um, they changed quickly from this when this report was taken in the first quarter of the year to the third quarter of the year. But it, I think it sort of depends on what we see in the news in, in the coming months um, as well. I, I mean, I think those the nightly protests, the daily coverage nationally of Portland has gone away. But there have still been uh, moments, instances where we've seen uh, well-publicized uh, moments of vandalism within the city. I mean, a couple weeks ago or maybe a month ago at this point, uh, a couple women-owned businesses, a church downtown, uh, a hotel, were all uh, all had their windows smashed. And it really felt like the small group of people that were doing that were going after any business they saw. And when you have coverage about that, I think it just adds to the perception. Um, mm-hmm. And it's harder for Portland to sort of move away from that uh, because people outside of the city that are seeing that aren't necessarily thinking about where in Portland that's happening or what that means for the city as a whole or really understanding what the city as a whole looks like right now, which is not uh, obviously sort of a riot zone or anything that we've seen on some of those national publications. Yeah, Jamie, what's your email box look like? Because you've written throughout this pandemic, um, you've covered, uh, you know, both the worker side and the business side. And, you know, is it just, uh, is it pretty tough to look look through your emails in terms of um, what you're hearing from people in our in our state and our community? Um, <laughs> I, there, there are a number of emails I, I kind of just read and move on from. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, I, I mean, as a journalist, I try to, you know, cover whatever side, whatever, not really a side, you know, I try to cover the issue as it is. And I have written about a lot of experiences of different people and businesses. And I think it's, I've been able to kind of put out a more complete picture mm-hmm. um, of what's going on and the issues I've covered. I've been covering just from writing about all those different sides. So um, <laughs> my, my email inbox has a lot of different people uh, with a lot of different opinions. Yeah. Um, um, but you know, I, I think it's good that readers can, can access me that way. You know, we're going to hopefully all of us have a chance to take a breath and recharge um, before the end of the year. What are you hoping to tackle in your coverage uh, in 2021? I think a lot of the same issues that I've been writing about are, are going to continue to be um, issues in, in 2021. I, I think when you look at uh, the the CARES Fund, obviously, is something we're going to be looking at. Um, the eviction moratorium and whatever is passed, we're, we're going to be looking at that rollout. Um, I, I think when you're looking at downtown businesses, that is going to be an ongoing issue. And whether the insurance issue I wrote about is more broad um, is something that I think we may have to, to look at as well. Um, with the unemployment, what what is in the relief bill that Congress passes, whether people that have been getting PUA are still protected um, and what that means. I, I think with business and the economy, I think is at the center of the COVID pandemic. So I, I think there's no shortage of stories uh, for me and, and my colleague, Mike Rogaway, to, to cover through all of this. Well, thank you so much for uh, your journalism and for talking about it with us today. Appreciate it. 
Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with Your Oregonian. If you like this show, give us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Help spread the word. And please consider supporting our journalism directly. The best way to do that is with a subscription to The Oregonian and Oregon Live. Visit OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.